Welcome to another edition of Revealing Truth of Branwells. One of the things that took place in the early 1990s, now this is whenever you know people my age, because I'll be 50 years old this year, um, that was happening was, you know, whenever I was in high school, was the Gulf War. And for those of you who weren't alive at that time, it was the first war that was essentially being televised on TV. You could literally look it up on TV and say, oh, here's the war. And... You know, and, you know, we were fed all sorts of stories saying we had ground troops in the war and everything else. Now, the rationale for the war was weapons of mass destruction. You know, um, you know, they had intel about Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction. And it's very, very similar to um, the early 2000s and shortly after um, 9-11, where we went to, um, you know, Iraq and you know, in Kuwait and Afghanistan under the guise that they have that they have weapons of mass destruction. You know, that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and you know, then we get this story about Osama bin Laden, you know, housing weapons of mass destruction. Um, now, the interesting thing is that no such weapons were found in either of these particular two wars. And I'm not downplaying any of the militaries, you know, as far as the servicemen and women that served in either one of these wars. Um, I think what they're doing, you know, is amazing. You know, I mean, they're, you know, they're heroes of what they do. That being said, many times over, I dare say that they're a lot of times are not necessarily given the full intel on it. You know, it might be like, you know, I've kind of compartmentalized and everything where only this person knows that person, you know, portion of it. And this person knows that portion of it. And neither one of them speak about it. Um, I think it's a lot like that. One of the prevailing theories, and this is, I've been hearing this for years now, is that Saddam Hussein, well, first and foremost, let me give you the backdrop of Saddam Hussein. Uh, he believed that he was the actual reincarnation of Ebuchadnezzar. Ebuchadnezzar was, um, a Babylonian, uh, god, and he believed that he was the reincarnation of it. Um, which is really, really interesting if you really want to get down to it. So one of the things that I've heard is that Saddam Hussein um, had portals to interdimensional beings or to extraterrestrials. And the U.S. and other countries that were part of this war, obviously it wasn't just the U.S. that was in this, of course, um, wanted to have control over those portals. Now, Many of us have heard also stories, you know, like, isn't it interesting how a lot of the countries that we go to war with tend to, you know, be you know, really oil rich, you know, populous. And so I, I kind of wonder if, you know, yeah, okay, there's, we want to get their oil in their oil fields, but that doesn't make any sense because we have, you know, you know, Texas, which obviously is very rich in oil and oil wells, you know, off the coast and everything else. So that doesn't begin to make sense. Why, why go to another country if you really want their oil so bad if you already have oil present within your own country that isn't does that make sense to anybody or are they one that questions that anyways um it says that none of the weapons were ever found and are conclusively found and obviously the question that arises from this is you know the first george bush who was president at the time whenever i was in high school with the first gulf war and then his son during 9-11, which is George W., 
And I think it's ironic that, you know, father and son were both, you know, in office at the time. But, you know, we already know that, you know, that many times over politicians on average, they're not so much as elected as they are selected. And, you know, let's face it, they both have a longevity of family history in politics and in um, skull and bones and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, so that begs the question of what in the world were they going after? I mean, obviously, you know, the oil well thing, we've heard that one for years. I've also heard theories um, about people talking about like artifacts, uh, Egyptian artifacts that, you know, prove this or that or whatever. And so that's what some mill, and maybe, and maybe my theory, and this is just my theory on this. What if all two or maybe all three ideas, maybe there's a fourth idea, I don't know were actually correct. Maybe we were to some degree going after the oil fields as a smoke screen to the others, which might be artifacts and Stargate portals. And it said, and, and mind you, you got to remember, it wasn't just, like I said, it wasn't just George you know, W. Bush. It was obviously Br uh, British Prime Minister Tony Blair at the time. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, it said that one of the questions arises is why would these two, you know, that were considerably focused on the political uh, reputations at the time um, and legacies uh, that would launch such a you know considerable operation on such an unreliable pretext. Um, there's an Australian scientist and he believes the answer to be um, that Bush and Blair used as a uh, pretext for invading the Iraq war was a cover for you know you know, for all what I just mentioned. Now, his name is Dr. Michael E. Salia. Um, and he, like I said, literally um, postulates that uh, the um, Gulf War was, you know, and the, um, you know, the one from 2000, early 2000s, and the one from back when I was in high school, that um, it deals with the, um, the artifacts and the Stargate portals, and that he uh, says that the aliens that he identifies as being from um, as being from the mysterious tenth uh, planet of the solar system, Nabru, and he had yeah, like a long uh, uh, running relationship with the people of the Iraq War and Iran region. Now, he wrote in a paper that was actually entitled Exopolitical Perspective on the Preemptive War Against Iraq. It doesn't roll off the tongue very well, I'm sorry to say. Um, and in this paper, he said that there is evidence for a long-term alien involvement within these areas. Uh, this is obviously dating back to the early days of the Sumerian civilization, which once uh, dominated the entire land along the banks of the Euphrates. Now, he's, uh, he basically says that he cites the claims uh, from historical Zacharian Sitchin of the Nephilim, which is a group of some 200 uh, aliens that rebelled against the superiors, the uh, Elium, and they interacted with perhaps even created uh, earlier civilizations um, on Earth. Now, these particular claims um, were centered around the idea that Nibiru um, was a highly eccentric orbit, which sometimes brings it closer to Earth, an orbit somewhere between, say, Mars and Jupiter. Now, 
most you know often leave uh, it lost in the blackness of the outer solar system he says the Ned brew um, hypothesis is partially supported by the work of uh, astronomer his name is uh, Chad Trillioho and Scott Shepard who in 2014 had demonstrated the possibility of a large planetary body lurking on the outer reaches of the solar system now they had hypothesized um, allow the super earth-sized planet wandering into the asteroid build built and it said Salia is sure without a shadow of doubt that these two groups of aliens who could collectively call the Anunnaki would periodically visit humanity and in 3,600 year cycle which coincides with the nearest approach to Earth it was one of the uh, these missions this is in 1991 whenever I was still in high school, that the Anunnaki saucer was accidentally shot down by U.S. Air Force uh, F-16 fighter during the first Gulf War. Okay. And it said a UFO that the U.S. administration was very keen to secure for themselves. And they're always wanting the technologies. Just look at how our technology has advanced since 1947, if you don't believe me. Now, this mission, he suggests, was... To activate a stargate hidden um, in Iraq, possibly beneath the dark uh, Zergert of uh, Esnu, which was one of the notorious Sumerian sorcerer. Um, uh, the name was, if I can get this right, uh, Gim Gimli uh, Ishba. And it's kind of like an instantaneous space time uh, of means of travel, which people are instantaneously teleported from an area to another. So basically it's like Star Trek, you know, beam me up Scotty where they transport somebody and you hope that the molecules and everything else are exact. Now, assuming that the surrogate could have been switched on, uh, he, Celia, suggests it would have given been given to Sodom a, a conduit a, to Nubru and to the advanced extraterrestrial weaponry which um, wielded by the Anunnaki. And it was a threat of the Stargate, according to Celia, that eventually led the United States as well as the United Kingdom drafting the um, as a cover for the interplanetary war. Um, I'm like I said on my on my podcast. I know that I talk about some stuff that some people might go, "What? You're crazy." Whatever. My my job on here is not to you know laugh at you know what some people might consider to be absurd. Is to really put it out there and you know throw the ball back in your court and say, "What do you guys think?" So. That being said, it says that the Bush administration recognized that Hussein had some very valuable, if not relevant, energy, information concerning the ancient history of our planet. Now, Salia acclaimed either technology or text basically confirming this, and he was going to release this to the general public. I think that was part of the reason why the Bush administration went to Iraq in the first place, which was to stop Hussein from reeling this information and to also get control um, themselves. Um, it says um, Celia um, also says that the other powers had their own uh, teams looking for this very Stargate. He said that Hussein controls the ground in southern Iraq and is permanently permitting the German-led evacuations in uh, Europe 
while the U.S.-led coalition controls the sky and is monitoring the situation. The Bush administration wanted control of Iraq territories and take control of evacuations of Europe to uh, uncover its buried Stargate and closely monitor and control it. Um, This is in contrast to Hussein wants to find and activate the Stargate for its greater glory and presumably the benefit of humanity. Um, Now, the month-long... I love this term, by the way. The month-long blitzkrieg of Operation Iraqi Freedom marked the end of the uh, uh, excavations and the end of um, his hypothesis. Asalius uh, hypothesis, uh, subspace corridor between, and this is between Earth and Nebru, and he said, did it ever exist? Uh, of the few pe- people that were in a position to say so, most of uh, are on the losing side or are now dead, and the victors, being Bush and Tony Blair, are highly unlikely to even confirm the existence of such an interplanetary scale uh, cover-up. Now, Saddam Hussein, like I said, he claimed to be the reincarnation of uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And in order to prove this, he ordered the reconstruction of Babylon. He spent millions of dollars reconstructing. Um, I, don't, I shouldn't say dollars. What is their currency? Anyways, reconstructing Babylon. And he had bricks with his name that were inscribed upon it. And he wanted for everyone to know he was uh, that he had rebuilt Babylon. So for that matter, the question, of course, still arises the reason that Bush decided to invade Iraq. I mean, you know, basically Babylon is not, you know, here yet, but this is like obviously a preemptive strike against it. Now, mind you, the Bush administration did, you know, still lie to the American public about it, still saying it was weapons of mass destruction. Obviously we had, you know, 9-11 as a preemptive cursor to that. So it was like, that was... You know, I mean, a lot of people believed that that's why we were over there. You know, it was the whole 9-11 thing. But obviously, you know, it comes to find out that, you know, the Bush family was in bed with the Saudis. And, you know, the, you know, the U.S. is not, sorry to say, beyond sacrificing their own people as, you know, a rationale for starting a war. Just look at Pearl Harbor. Um, but anyways, Bush claimed that Saddam was in possession of weapons of mass destruction. Um, however, they never found any. If the U.S. wanted that oil... Why do you lie to the people and claim Saddam had weapons of mass destruction? He should just say, we want their oil. Um, but they said uh, Saddam Hussein was, you know, he said even though Saddam Hussein may have been a dictator that invaded countries like Iran and Kuwait, but it's still, obviously this doesn't still look good for, you know, the Bush administration here in the United States at the time. Nebuchadnezzar, for those of you who don't know, is the second, and according to everything, greatest king of the Shaldean uh, dynasty of the Babylon, of Babylon, and was notorious for waging, quite frankly, bloody wars in order to seize large um, amounts of uh, current during uh, the days of uh, Iran and Israel. And Babylon, which was mentioned obviously in the Bible, was one of the glories of the ancient world with its walls and uh, mythic hanging gardens listing uh, among the seven wonders. Now, this is founded, according to um, archaeologists and historians, around 200 and, you know, um, 2300, excuse me, 200, 2300 BC. And it was the capital of the ten dynasties of Mesopotamia and the birthplace of writing and, for that matter, literature. Um, 
apparently over 15 years after Hussein's um, supposed execution, and I mean supposed because many times over we're not being fed the uh, honest to God's truth, um, his um, tribute to the uh, emperor has become a, a ghostly shell. And this once grand palace halls are dabbed with graffiti and broken glass and you know things like that are on the floor so it's just it's it's really weird anyways it says uh, uh shisha um smoking teenagers and families gather on hussein's what was hussein's uh balconies that were overlooking the complex spread of babylon uh the re- uh, replica um Ishtar uh, gate is made from the gaudy blue bricks polished off with uh, gold overlay. Um, yeah, that's it's unreal. I mean, if you saw some of the photographs, I mean, it's absolutely amazingly beautiful, though. But and it said in 1985, Hussein started re- to rebuild the city on top of the old ruins that were investing in both restoration and new construction. Now, due to this, some artifacts may well be hidden under the city by now. Uh, to the dismay of archaeologists, Hussein inscribed his name on many of the bricks, as I said, uh, in imitation of Nebuchadnezzar. Apparently, Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing. Uh, one inscription which read, uh, This was built by Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar, to glorify Iraq. Um, and it says... Uh, Basically, um, it says the brutalist uh, reliefs would depict Hussein leading uh, soldiers on the battlefield while the ceilings are painted with symbols of Iraqi civilization from Babylonian lines to the towers that Hussein built in Baghdad. Um, it said that there was an Iraqi author named uh, Kanan uh, Micah, uh, which is an Iraqi author and professor at uh, Brandis University has written a book um, on Saddam Hussein's building projects. And according to him, Babylon is neither Islamic nor Arab. It is obviously uh, deeply pre-Islamic, which is interesting to say the least. Um, a quote, in celebration of Babylon and reconstruction of the city of Babylon, uh, what one is doing is essentially calling upon the idea of Iraq, not the idea of uh, Abrahamism, of the idea of Baghdad as spearheading of a new Abrahamism in the region, or uh, Islamism, or Islamic, uh, but, but not Iraq. So it's this really, it's interesting, it's like, wait a minute here. We thought Iraq was obviously an Islamic state, now we're being told something totally different. So this goes back to what I was saying earlier, which was that we're not always being given the full, if not the most accurate of stories and the most complete of stories. And it says that the 19th century, um, in you know, um, there was an illustrator named William Simpson, and it says the walls of Babylon and Temple of Bell was influenced by archaeologist um, investigation of this site. Now, obviously, in recent years, the Iraqi uh, authorities have, re- in fact, reopened Babylon to tourists and hoping that one day the site will attract visitors from all over the world. Um, it says, following the excavations in the early 20th century, Europe, um, European archaeologists, rather, claimed 
that there were key features such as the remains of the famous uh, Ishtar Gate and the uh, glazed brick gate decorated with images of dragons and aquarics and um, built in about 575 BC by order of King Nebuchadnezzar II at the 8th gate to the inner city. Um, and it said that uh, Nebuchadnezzar the second was the second greatest king of uh, Chandel uh, dynasty of Babylonia and resigned during 605 to uh, 561 BCE. Now he was known as being militant, um, military might, uh, and in, uh, his capital Babylonia, Babylon is the important part of his uh, in Jewish history, believe it or not. Uh, the first Babylonian Empire reached its peak in the second uh, millennium BC. This is before essentially collapsing. Um, however, in 612 BC, um, Nebuchadnezzar II broke the power um, of the, the Assyrians. And he reestablished Babylonian before going to on to conquer Jerusalem and destroying the Jewish temple and taking thousands of Jewish armed men, workers, and the king of Judea back to uh, captivity in Babylon. Uh, whenever Nebuchadnezzar made a conquest, he also used the stolen wealth to build mon uh, monuments to his own glory. So, obviously, it sounds like, in a lot of ways, he was rather narcissistic. You know, I hate that term anymore, because it seems to be tossed around like a joint at a frat party these days. And it was um, in his capital city that Nebuchadnezzar built the legendary Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, and uh, an obvious testimony to the grandeur, each brick was in fact inscribed with Nebuchadnezzar's name. Okay, so that's where Saddam Hussein got that idea from. Now, for those of you who don't know, because I mentioned Zechariah Sitch uh, Sitchin earlier, he was the author of a book called The Twelfth Planet and has been studying ancient Sumerian texts for many years. And in fact, he claims to have an accurate interpretation of how the Sumerians believed humanity uh, came into existence on Earth. Um, this is according to Sitchin's uh, studies, a superior race of beings once inhabited this world and travelers from other worlds arrived apparently eons ago and planted the seed that would later blossom into a remarkable race, you know, humans. Um, so it's, it's, it's very, very interesting, um, you know, looking at where all this derives from. And as I said before, I'm throwing it back into, you know, you know, your ballpark as a listener. You know, what do you guys think about this? And I'm, like I said, I don't, I'm not going to say it's wrong or it's erroneous because, you know, especially after 2020, everything is completely up for grabs these days as far as the information that we've been, you know, led to believe for so long. You know, a lot of it's, you know, a lot of these truths are coming to the surface, so this might be quite possibly another potential truth to come to the surface and bubble up its way like that, like water losing out of the ground. Now, apparently, uh, Stargates in Iraq has been, you know, there are many uh, people that have said, very credible people, I mean, we're not talking like some, you know, guy that's some, you know, like, total, you know, like the, you know, the town drunk or something, we're talking about like literally credible people have really looked into this. According to, um, basically it says, uh, Iraq was once the Garden of Eden, and Iraq also made the home of the ancient Sumerians, held strong inter, um, 
and apparently it was the ones in the Garden of Eden and everything. And many great names have uh, come forward and proclaimed the U.S. government not only knows about these Stargates, but also are in pursuit to in order to acquire them. And uh, says that Dan Bursch, which was an Area 51 S4 worker, claimed that a Stargate in Iraq uh, actually doesn't does exist. And in fact, confirms the accusations of the Iraq War is a cover for the fight for the Stargate. And it's it's highly possible. I mean, because this story has been around for a while, and it has to derive from a source. Obviously, you know, it can't just be from thin air. I mean, it's been around for some time now. So it, I don't know. It's it, something is funky here. You know, I mean, as far as the initial narrative you know which was you know weapons of mass destruction they've never found any weapons whatsoever then what was the point of the war it, it doesn't make a lot of sense another thing that's really interesting and if you want to go back a little bit further than say like the 1980s or even the 1990s and 2000s is to look at the fact that okay, so it says that back in the 1920s the iraq stargate was uncovered in baghdad Stargate uh, surrounding, uh, surrounded by something called the Green Zone during the Iraqi War and was the whole purpose for the war of weapons of mass destruction were, for that matter, an excuse. Having control of the Stargate was, in fact, the control of the Bush administration, but is also control of, um, you know, something that was deeply looked into by the Nazis during World War II and World War, possibly World War I as well. I mean, they were really into... You know, having, you know, understanding technology, Stargate, you know, cult, you know, things like that. It's just, they really looked into this stuff. And so it's, it's not, you know, totally unheard of that this just goes way, way back. And this is, uh, basically when Hitler in Nazi Germany went to Iraq to fight against the British, uh, as both wanted control of the Iraqi Stargate. Um, and it says that, um, hold on a minute. There was something called a Führer Directive Number 30, which dealt with the German invasion in support of uh, uh, Arab nationalists in the King's uh, Kingdom of Iraq. And during the 1930s, representatives of Nazi Germany and, for that matter, fascist Italy attempted to, in fact, gain favor with various Iraqi nationalists and promise support against the British. And this is May 2nd, 1941. After uh, tensions mounted on, on both sides, the British uh, launched preemptive land strikes against Iraqi forces. And the Anglo-Iraqi War officially began. Um, and it said, if I get this right, his name was Rashad Ali. Um, immediately requested that the Germans make good on the earlier promises of assistance and the inter international zone, formerly known as the Green Zone, is the heavily guarded diplomatic government area of closed off streets in central Baghdad where U.S. occupation um, authorities live as well as work. And it says the Green Zone is the central city includes the main palaces of President Saddam Hussein where the Sargi is located in the basement of the main palace. The area also uh, houses the civilian ruling authority run by the Americans and the British and the office of major U.S. consulting companies. And Prescott Bush at the time 
had furnished weapons to Nazis, Nazi Germany to uh, arm them for World War II. Um, and said that the Rockefellers, Chase Bank, and Prescott Bush fund secret space program. Um, so according to research that was being carried out over the last few years, uh, Wall Street bankers, amongst others, financed Hitler's rise to power whilst making large profits uh, at the same, t- uh, same time U.S. economist Victor Thorne noted that uh, although a large number of other corporations aided the Nazis, such as Standard Oil, Rockefeller's Chase Bank, as well as U.S. automobile manufacturers, Prescott Bush interests were more, much more profound and not to mention sinister. You know, it's interesting to find out of the thousands of ancient relics, texts, and scriptures that have gone missing since you know a lot of these conflicts took place, um, plus the connections of the region to antiquity uh, itself. Uh, time, according to some, where this ancient technology existed openly, and then it perhaps um, ex- uh, expected by some people would begin to connect dots. Uh, so this is like this is perhaps particularly the case of the Iraqi war, given the total uh, murkiness of the whole thing. For example, the argument of Saddam Hussein possessing weapons of mass destruction is largely, is completely disproven. It has been for a long time. The connections to 9-11 persist, and the apparent suicide, suicide of British uh, microbiologist David, Dr. Excuse me, Dr. David Kelly is still open for debate. Um, you know, you know, there were claims that the discovery of the ancient uh, Stargate in Iraq of the 1920s would send uh, discrete uh, ripples all over the entire world over the next decade. Uh, many world governments became completely aware of the discovery, if not, um, you know, really wanting to obtain the technologies for themselves. Many of them descended upon the area like vultures on, you know, on a you know, carcass. Um, throughout military units uh, in search of it. Um, as I said before, you know, a case in point, when you look at the Nazis and what they were looking for, they were looking for the Lost Ark, amongs other things. Um, you know, some even point to the uh, Anglo-Iraqi War of 1941 as simply a front uh, between British governments and those of Germany and Italy, who had sided with uh, Iraq nationalists. And this is, of course, in reality, was in order to gain control of the Stargate, at least according to this theory. Which isn't really bad theory, because quite frankly, as I said before, everything's up for grabs. You know, maybe we weren't told the whole truth back then. You know? I mean, I don't know. It's... I know we've we've gone through a really strange dimension thing, especially with this whole CERN thing that just happened this past summer. And then combine that with, like, you know, the whole 2012 thing. I don't know, man. Everything is up and down, back, uh, backwards and forwards and everything else. And not to mention... And take note of this, there is still no solid proof of any of the claims that is not clear what happened to the Stargate following the brief conflict. We know for certain that the Nazis did spend considerable time looking for these relics, and like I said, including the Ark of the Covenant. Um, by the time of the Iraqi War in 03, which we look uh, at uh, shortly as the Stargate lay hidden deep beneath the palaces of Saddam Hussein, um, following the taking of Baghdad, the area around the palace and the inner city would sit inside, you know, the green zone, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and perhaps one of the stranger, you know, connecting theories, um, the Sargi is, uh, is 
in truth hidden in, in uh, plain sight, you know? So it's, I, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a very pondering question. You know, why do we not obtain these so-called weapons of mass destruction? We never found any of them. And it's been debunked numerous of times. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we already talked about the Garden of Eden and everything. Um, but the reason for the first Gulf War in 91 was scrutinized by many, not uh, least the testimony of, I forgot this right, his name is uh, Neyahan uh, El Sabaha, I guess that's how you pronounce the name. And she was a 15-year-old girl at the time, this is in 1991, that claimed to have seen Iraqi soldier, soldiers killing infants. The, uh, this ultimately turned out to be a completely uh, false statement. And as I've said before, in the early 90s, you know, we had, um, you know, you could watch the war on TV, you could look it up, and it would be in TV Guide, Here's a War. And it, it was crazy because, you know, at the time, CNN was saying, okay, we're at Ground Zero and all this other stuff, and then you find out that they're not actually Ground Zero, that they're actually in the studio and, you know, making fun of, you know, how um, gullible Americans were. And so they totally lost any and all credibility at that point, you know, and not to mention they still haven't gained any credibility, they've made it worse, in fact. And it's largely seen as the outright propaganda to support for the preemptive action against Iran. Um, and, and perhaps this is not surprising that people were suspicious of George Bush Jr., backed rather eagerly by UK Prime Minister Tony Blair. Now, when they went against the UN uh, reasoning and entered the country in March of '03, and was simply the uh, con uh, continuation of George Bush Sr.'s attempt to the Iraq war to begin with, which, okay, I'll agree with that. And many would say that the reason for these wars was not regime change point to George Bush Sr., but his role, his past role in the CIA. Okay, I will go along with that. And in turn, they would also cite his high-ranking role under Ronald Reagan. And I really personally think George Bush was pulling the strings behind Reagan because Reagan got to a point where he just wasn't the same after he had the near-death experience with somebody almost, you know, basically shooting him and everything. But not dying. Um, you know, Reagan, if anyone knew that they, an uh, individual person or secrets of American government, it would arguably be him. And I, I would say yes, because he was pretty high up on the totem pole. I mean, you know, mind you, politicians are still middlemen. They're not nearly as pow powerful as we like to think they are, but they're still middlemen. So it goes back to the idea where. You know, you got people like, you know, way, way higher up than like, say, or politicians or presidents, which is people like Soros and the Rockefellers, which means that they probably, you know, what if, and this is going to sound, not that I'm, I'm kind of like playing devil's advocate here, but here it goes. What if, you know, what, you know, Hussein was doing, you know, obviously he was looking out for his country and everything, and, you know, like any other politician or, you know, any leader of a country, they're supposed to look out for their country. But what if he was literally going against what something like somebody like Soros, you know, backed, you know, politicians were, you know, going against? I don't know. I'm not saying that you know, putting Hussein on a pedestal like he's a hero or something. What I am saying is, you know, let's let's really ask some serious questions about this. Um, this is all wrapped up in conspiracy so much as it perhaps the intention that unraveling the complete truth and the accusations and theories is practically impossible, but. It's still, you know, um, in the matter of days, the country would, would be under U.S. control. Um, th this was 
dealing with the whole Kuwait thing and everything else, the U.S. military would oversee the installation of democracy for the Iraqi people. Um, okay, that sounds that's definitely a CIA thing where where they uh, install their people in. You know, somebody's going to bow to them and work for them, and it's not going to be, you know, an actual freedom from the people from the you know grassroots ground up or whatever, which would be a legitimate freedom or legitimate democratic republic or whatever you want to call it. You know, because our job here in the United States, I'm sorry, should not be policing the entire world and giving them freedom and everything. And, you know, it's not that I don't care about other people in other countries. I do. But, you know, we, you know, I think every country out there would probably agree with this. Or you need to look out for your own people first. That's the whole point of it. And also, um, I mean, I that many U.S. intelligence agencies uh, undisturbed and unblocked access to whatever uh, is happens to be that country's resources. So it's, um, all right, so the missing relics. All right. As the invasion of Iraqi, uh, Iraq progressed, um, so did the disorder. Obviously, there was a lot of looting that would become totally rampant. That sounds kind of weirdly familiar to stuff that's happening here in the U.S., by the way. Um, in particular, at museums and government buildings and containing ancient and priceless relics. Well, that's not so much relevant. Um, but many witnesses uh, would speak on special military units carrying out you know, much of the looting, uh, even of lo- uh, loading entire vaults worth of relics onto heavy-duty trucks. Literally thousands of items vanished, basically. Um, a lot of these were stolen and would turn up in Europe on the black market. And many seemingly would just simply poof, thin air, nothing. You know, that's all she wrote. Now, some people, this was a modern example of uh, ancient knowledge being removed uh, from the general population, obviously with a deep, deep intent of covering evidence of something. So why would you move? You know, you're you're over in a war zone. You know, you're supposed to be, quote-unquote, fighting the enemy, but the last thing you should be considered is, like, looking for all these relics and stuff. That just doesn't make, make sense. This is in order to maintain control and keep most people deeply ignorant. And obviously, you know, every time we turn around, they're, you know, the powers of be are wanting to keep the masses totally dumbed down and ignorant and not asking too many questions. You know, case in point, people that just follow hook, line, and sinker, everything the mainstream media tells them. And, um, anyways, in the, basically it says the, it says in the same way as the Vatican would face accusations of hiding such documents, which I, I do believe the Vatican does hide documents and they have some of the most advanced technology on the planet. And obviously somebody, the writers are obviously comparing that to this, but I, I still, you know, there, there is a lot out there where it talks about, you know, in war zones that they will literally go looking for like stuff and, you know, you know, as far as history and artifacts and everything else. And so, you know, I, I wonder maybe if not just say, for instance, like the, the Iraqi war and the Gulf war, maybe it's like all of the wars we've ever had, you know, if you think about it, you know, you want to go back and take a look like, what was the purpose that we were actually in World War One, World War Two? What was the purpose of the Korean conflict, or for that matter, Vietnam? You know, a lot of these, if you really want to boil down to them, and they're pretty kind of murky in the details. You know, I know a lot of the GIs and the service men and women that basically served in these wars, and they pretty much thought that they had a good handle on up until, say, maybe the Vietnam War era. Vietnam was probably the murkiest at the time because 
it was so deeply questionable as why in the world were we over there to begin with. And so it wasn't the same generation of, you know, servicemen and women that were during, say, World War I or World War II or even the Korean conflict. Um, it was a whole other list, list of servicemen and women. Um, and they were probably not given the, I mean, it, it was like, I'm not saying that they didn't experiment on, you know, people back then, back in the you know, 20s or even the 40s, you know, with the military, but it was the first really kind of open experiment type of thing with their military you know, servicemen and women during the Vietnam era, really. And, you know, with all the chemicals and you know, Agent Orange, and, you know, look how it really affected everybody. It was like the whole chemical warfare thing just really took, you know, you know overtook everything. And apparently, and it says, um, microbiologist Dan Burchell, and he said, uh, named many of in the UFO community claims that the Iraqi war was to locate and obtain exactly that. Right. Well, that does make sense because a lot of the other stuff isn't making sense. And it's not totally adding up for me, personally speaking. Um, yeah, it says, or if anybody remembers, there were like some sort of like tunnels being dug in Afghanistan. And it says, and why choose the time that they did to destroy them? Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, there was, if you have questions about the real purpose of these tunnels that they were digging at the time, I mean, it says, indeed, realizing conflict is becoming increasingly likely a decision made to destroy evidence of them. So it looks like a lot of this was like a lot of evidence destroying and tampering. You know, and it goes back to the idea of, you know, um, you know, getting rid of our history. And lately, I mean, all right, so let me put it this way. Let me break it down for you on a smaller level, maybe. You know, look at what's happening, you know, here in the United States, if you're an American citizen, look at what's happened here with them trying to erase, you know, parts of our history with getting rid of monuments, statues, or whatever it is, based upon false narratives. And people, you know, they'll go ahead and tear it down, rightfully so, and they think that whatever that they think, oh, this isn't, you know, this is not part of our history, this is not part of who we are, we don't want this, whatever. And so that's where their thinking is, right? And, um, but then you find out, well, wait a minute, they're being fed a lot of garbage, they're being fed complete total lies and fabrication, but nonetheless, they've already torn down this part of their history that they just, you know, don't want to admit, you know, may have transpired. But then the fact is that the part of the history that they don't want to think may have transpired didn't transpire in the way that they thought it did and we were initially told that it did so for instance if you guys listen to my podcast you'll notice that i did a you know episode recently about you know thomas jefferson you know a lot of people say thomas jefferson owned slaves i'm like no he actually put forth amendments to try to basically eradicate slavery that was a big deal in his time that was a really big deal and um you know because he said he was becoming more and more you know like he was basically trying to prevent a civil war because he saw where things could be headed, and you know, man, if he wasn't right, you know. Um, but you know, at the same time, we're you know told about the Civil War. You know, it was like North versus South. We're given this whole, you know, very, in a lot of ways, very simplistic story. You know, in comparison to the fact that we have French and Spanish troops are at, you know both borders and willing to divide and conquer, and it's all this other stuff, and it's a lot more to it than that. Was obviously, the bankers and you know everything else was involved. And so when you take that and you look at it, well, heck, that just makes it a whole nother dynamic, doesn't it? I mean, just really, and obviously they don't teach that in history. They don't teach that and put that in history books or whatever. No, you have to go searching for it. You have to really look for it because I always, whenever I was in school, 
you know, like in grade school and high school and everything, I always found myself annoyed with history. I understood it, you know, as far as what they wanted for the tests and exams. But what kind of kicked my butt was how simplistic they made it seem. You know, it was, it, it was way more complicated. And, and granted, I know the people that wrote history books weren't physically there, you know, because you don't really truly understand history unless you're physically there. Um, but they always made it seem so simplistic. And I understand maybe they're trying to reach a certain age group or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, I've always been the idea of like challenge the living daylights out of, you know, us, you know, when we were younger, you know, right off the bat, just challenge us to the point where we actually have a firm understanding of history that there's no debate that there's no whatever, but, oh wait, they do that on purpose just so that we do divide ourselves and we do that we are conquered just simply by the misinformation of it. And this is a great example. Um, and I remember whenever I was in high school and people found out that we were, you know, about the Gulf War. And I remember some people were just like shouting, like, Oh my God, hooray, we're in a war, man. And I'm like, are you seriously saying that? You know, I mean, like I said, it's not that I don't support our troops. I absolutely do. And I'm absolutely somebody that stands for the national anthem and everything else. What I don't like is, and what I've always had an issue with, always had an issue with is basically being fed lies and being told to believe them that they're the honest God truth. Meanwhile, everybody else is buying it, but you're still, you know, sitting there going, um, I've got a whole list of questions that are multiplying right now, just looking at you. And, um, and it says that, you know, I mean, in some of the, in this article, the writer, of course, is trying to like play both sides. And I, I kind of understand what they're doing. Where they're, you know, like, okay, let me just play, you know, a little devil's advocate here. And I'm like, totally just going to say, let's just question the crap out of everything because clearly we're not being fed the full and honest to God's truth, not even remotely. Um, I think these, um, the fact that they're getting artifacts and having poor roles and things like that is much more likely than over there just looking for weapons of mass destruction, but came up with, you know, with nothing, you know, total snake eyes and egg on our face that makes us. That, that that makes our you know government look incompetent and i'm not saying that there's not some incompetent people within our government what i am saying is they give us this ridiculous excuse of that's almost so transparent it's not even funny but then i also wonder okay if it's not stargate portals and if it's not oil and if it's not um, artifacts. And we're certainly not over there to quote unquote deliver freedom to people. Then what are we over there for? I don't want to believe that my own government would, I don't know, do things in the way that they do. You know, I don't think anybody wants to believe that their own government does heinous stuff that they don't want to know about. And, if we did, we would probably stay up all night and never stop riding the streets or whatever. But I do think it's a totally healthy idea of, you know, um, insanity to really question the narrative of what is it we're being told and told to think and everything else. So, you know, case in point with this, do you guys think it is about these Sargate, you know, portals and highly plausible. I mean, look at what, you know, look at what's happening in this world. You know, I mean, it's the one thing about 
whenever I'm reading about other countries and how they really, you know, I mean, I know what we're, we're told here in the United States about other countries and how their leaders behave and how things are done and whatever. We're given all these narratives, if you would, and that's what I call it. Not actually stories. I mean, the stories might be the wrong acronym. Um, but, you know, narratives about this, that, or the other. And we're given like a ton of narratives. I mean, my gosh. Um, I got to do one sometime on, um, on Gaddafi. And I found out a bunch of stuff about him. I thought it was really interesting. You know, I remember Gaddafi was more something for, for me anyways. The, the first time I ever heard him, I think it was back in the 80s and everything. And, um, you know, I found out that he basically made sure that every person there had a savings account. And he would give all of his people in his country money, you know, from the oil that they had. And he made, you know, nobody was homeless. And women would actually go to college and men would go to college and people would go to college for free. And he did like a lot of stuff for women there. And he was really, he was not what we were being told here in the States. We were being told he was a horrible person and a dictator and all this other stuff and killed all these people, whatever. And you find out that that wasn't the case. So it goes into the idea where how many, how many lie after lie after lie are we going to constantly believe that this is the truth before we start really looking into it and questioning it? Um, you know, with, you know, portals, I mean, there's all sorts of really strange portals on the world anyways, you know, and, you know, hello, you know, um, remember when we talk about, you know, Alaska Triangle and for that matter, the Bermuda Triangle, things like that. So there's obviously portals out there, but Stargate is, um, whole other thing and you know obviously i remember somebody talking about like the stargate movie and the tv show and you know saying that this is based on real stuff and lo and behold oh my gosh it is and you know maybe it, it, it's really strange you know like how you know sometimes movies answer questions we're not even asking ourselves and i kind of wonder looking at that movie looking at the tv show which by the way are really cool um I kind of wonder if it was like giving us information to stuff that, you know, like sometimes like the writers and directors and, you know, whatever gives us information of things that we're not necessarily asking for, but maybe we should have just to kind of get us kind of in the mindset of, well, maybe this is happening. Um, you know, so it's, you know, sometimes I wonder if they're really telling us the truth in a lot of these movies and you start to really listen to it and like look at the plot and, you know, what the characters are talking about and whatever it is. And you start a question going, you know, isn't that interesting how it's the United States Air Force military, you know, it gets the Stargate and just a whole bunch of military people. And you got the one doctor played by um, James Spader. And, you know, he's going in there and he looks at Kurt Russell's character who basically goes in there with a bomb and everything else. And... You know, you know, Spader questions him and says, what did you come over here for? And he was given a whole another list of orders, obviously, you know, being military. You know, the doctor wouldn't have, you know, because, you know, James Spader's character was just somebody that was able to decipher, um, you know, the Egyptian text and everything. And be able to understand, a star, you know, the whole Stargate theory. Um... What if that's based on real stuff, you know? I mean, I heard somebody say that the TV show and the movie was based on real stuff. I, I'm, at this point, looking at this, I'm not going to say that they're wrong. I mean, it is kind of... The sale is a little on the peculiar side, right? Um, 
you know, it's, and, and we always have like, you know, you know, all sorts of really just strange stuff on earth that keeps, you know, we keep finding out about where, you know, here's like this thing in China or whatever. It's like this whole thing where somebody, this whole like sinkhole opened up and there was this whole land underneath it. And I'm like, with vegetation and trees and you're like, what in the world? So it's, it's, it's almost like, I know that we're on like a living planet and people forget that part, you know, and there's so much mystery to our planet, mystery to our world. It's not even funny. Um, I mean, some of you literally just, you know, no government has jurisdiction over the truth. And I know I've said that before, but it's the truth where people constantly believe their media and believe their governments. Which, incidentally, nine times out of ten, they're connected to each other, I'm sorry to say. Um, you know, it's a form of a propaganda tool or whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, obviously, I don't believe that we're alone in the universe. And I do believe that there is probably more than a million ways of being able to contact extraterrestrial life and, you know, things like that. But do I believe that there are portals here and Stargate portals? Absolutely, I do. Um, it's, you know, it, it, if we were like told, Hey, we're looking for portals. I mean, obviously it would have given, you know, that's Intel, I guess, but it's like, you know, governments have the right to their Intel and I, and I get that. But at the same time, it's like when everybody's like poking holes through it and it's such a ridiculous story to where, you know, of looking for weapons of mass destruction that even the story, the story that the possibility that we're looking for, a, you know, um, you know, Stargate portals or artifacts sounds a lot more, much more plausible when you realize how many times we've been lied to and how many times we've fallen for it. You know, everything from, you know, Oswald killing Kennedy to whatever it is. I mean, it's like lie after lie after lie. And, you know, my question is this, how many times are we going to fall for it? And, you know, case in point, like I say, every time in the news, we're fall, we're being lied to and, and falling for something. And, you know, and, you know, it's always like, take a look at the official narrative, whatever it happens to be. Take a story and research it and find out what it is that you are not being told. Because nine times out of ten, we're not being fed the truth and we're not being given the actual tools to look it up. So you got to really, you know, put in say a theory of something you know where i've got this theory about this subject matter or whatever and start going into it now this the stargate theory and the artifacts theory i've been hearing about for a while i can't remember when the first time i actually heard it was mind you but nonetheless i've heard it and since especially like with the first iraq war which was like like i said it was whenever i was in high school it was like literally like 1991 and i was getting ready to go into my well i was already in my senior year i think it was and um you know, it was just, it was, it was a weird time. I mean, it was like right there, right before we, you know, heard the whole OJ trial and all this other stuff, you know, I mean, it was all right there. And I'm like, geez, you know, but, you know, and, and then in the early 2000s, whenever 9-11 happened, we were told so many lies about 9-11. And obviously at the time, everybody was really, you know, just... I think that everybody was just experiencing a PTSD for the entire nation. Now, one thing I will say about 9-11 is it brought every American together. Nobody cared if you were Democrat or Republican. Everybody was an American, which was great. 
None of that trans crap was out in the time. None of that pronoun stuff was out at the time. And in a lot of ways, that was great because it was nice to see Americans just like working together and helping each other out, which is quite frankly what it should be. The next thing they've systematically divided us more than we've ever been divided in our lives. And it's like, you know, all of a sudden it's hip for people to be racist again. I don't know where the heck that came from. It's never been cool to be racist. And, you know, it's like we've totally thrown out what Martin King Jr. said or whatever it is. And so it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a really strange world that we're living in these days. Anyways, um, thanks again for another episode of Revealing the Truth of Brant Wells. Um, check me out. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Amazon. I'm on iHeartRadio. Please let your friends know about me. Um, you know, you take a look. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. Um, thank you again. See you next time.